Starting last Sunday, we began to see Jesus traveling to Jerusalem for his ultimate mission in the Gospel of Luke. And we learned that discipleship means following Jesus. Disciple is not someone who just knows Jesus or even feels his love, but someone actually follows him. Following Jesus without convenience and comfort, but following Jesus with a radical commitment. That is all discipleship is about. So when you follow Jesus from time to time, you are sent by Jesus. You are sent by Jesus. And the sending by Jesus, sent by Jesus is called mission. Today we will see Jesus sending his disciples to mission. Here we discover another important truth that disciples or followers of Jesus are sent people. We are sent people. We are all sent by Jesus, God's mission. In that sense, Christian life is a missionary life, and church is a community of those sent to the common mission of God. So now if some of you wonder, hey, when did I become a missionary? Let me tell you what Jim Elliot, a famous American missionary to Ecuador, says. Missionaries are very human folks just doing what they are asked, simply a bunch of nobodies trying to exalt somebody. You know, the missionaries that I met, they all look ordinary. You know, last week we saw uh, Jefferson and Stacy. Do they look extraordinary? They look very fresh, ordinary young couple. Our new missionary partner in Batumi, Republic of Georgia, Tim Stone, he told me that the, uh, how he became a missionary. He was an ordinary grad student uh, studying a field of physics. Although he grew up in Indonesia and Philippines as a missionary kid, or we call it MK, he never had a special calling to be a missionary. Simply, one day, while he was studying in America, he realized this very uneven uh, uh, leveled you know, uh, playing field. That is, there's a church almost every block in America, while the countries that he traveled, there is not even a church in a city. So he felt, I need to do something about it. That led him to be a missionary. And the team Stone was right. Because while most Christians talk about second coming of Christ, majority of the world does not even heard about the first coming of Christ. So missionaries are not extraordinary people, but ordinary people serving an extraordinary God. And Hudson Taylor, famous missionary to China, he also said the same thing. God isn't looking for people of a great faith but individuals ready to follow him, okay? So, and then I want to really drive this point today, that sometimes, you know, we, be, we, we kind of uh, uh, hide in a, behind the statement like uh, you are either, you know, a, a sent or a senders. You know, either you are mobilized or you are mobilizers. And then we think that uh, since I'm not sent on for, for the mission, I must be a sender. All right, hear me clearly. We are both sent and senders. 
disciples of Christ. We are both sent and senders. Especially in our age of high-tech communication and the rapid transportation, line between a global mission and local mission is a more blurry than ever. As we, see, as we will see soon, Christ's great commission is not just for the professional missionaries, but every believer, every disciple, every follower of Jesus Christ, including us. Amen? And uh, I really want to say, the, the, one of the reasons I'm sold out to house church is that house church is one of the best ways to do a mission, locally and globally. You know? Before you forget, I, let me give you just one application. When you go vacation, go to the mission, you know, the, your, your house church is a, a missionary's place. You don't have to do anything. Your visitation is a huge encouragement to him or her, to the missionary, and then people who are serving them, they will see just simply being there is a great. You know, team and uh, uh, Sharon, I mean, Sarah Stone, why is that? Okay, I'm sorry. I got confused with that actress. Forgive me. Sarah Stone. You know, I was talking to, I was, uh, talking to them on the Zoom, and I said the... Uh, I'm planning to, I'm planning actually a Holy Land tour with our people in the future. Maybe this year or, you know, at least, you know, next year. And they served in the Turkey for 20, almost 20 years. You know what guess they told me? They've never been to a Holy Land or Israel. It's just an hour flight. But they're so busy working, they, could, they didn't even go to Israel. So I really hope that... Uh, Next, I mean, in our uh, first Holy Land tour, the team that we're going, we can do uh, some fundraising, and we can invite this, uh, mi you know, the missionary couple from Georgia. Now, having said that, let's read our text today. Luke chapter 10, verse 1 to 20. Let's read responsibly again. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town, and place where uh, he was about to go. He told them the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. As the Lord of a harvest, therefore to send out the workers into a harvest field. Go, I'm sending you out like a lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals, and do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker de uh, deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, Go into his street and say, Even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet as a warning to you. Yet be sure of this, kingdom of God has come near. I'll tell you it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. What to you, Chorazin, and what to you, Bethsaida? For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be a more miserable, bearable for Tyre and Sidon 
at the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted to the heavens? No, you will go down to Hades. Whoever listens to you, listen to me. Whoever rejects you, rejects me. Whoever rejects me, rejects him who sent me. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied, I saw Satan fall like a lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to tremble on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Flowers fall, but the word of God lasts forever. Luke was the only gospel writer who told us about today's story of Jesus sending 72 disciples into short-term mission. He already told Jesus sending about 12 in the Luke chapter 9, verse 1 to 6. What we read today was basically an expansion of our earlier story. So why did Luke repeat the sending story? It was because Luke himself was a product and the fruit of missionary ministry. Luke met Christ through Paul in his second missionary journey at Troas, according to Acts chapter 16.10. So more than anyone, Luke knew the critical importance of missionaries and their works for the whole world. That's why he repeated Jesus sending the disciples twice. In this second story, Jesus sent the 72 unnamed disciples, unnamed disciples. Unlike the first sending of the 12 apostles, Luke did not mention anything about these 72, nor their location. Some New Testament scholars think that Luke intentionally made them anonymous and their story kind of obscure to actually to accentuate the critical importance of unsung heroes. Critical importance of unsung heroes. One of the main theological themes in the Luke's gospel is that God loves ordinary people, and God loves to use ordinary people. Now, by the way, why did God, Jesus, send the 72? Why not 40? Why not 80? Why not simple 100? Why particularly 72? 72 is a number of nations described in Genesis chapter 10, which we call the table of nations. So this sending story through this, Jesus telling us there is a global, worldwide implication. So, how do we successfully accomplish God's mission in our life as a sent people of God? Do we take a you know, great commission of God seriously? You know, that's the last time before Jesus ascended to heaven, Jesus commanded all of disciples, all of believers to go everywhere starting from Jerusalem, Samaria, Judea, and the uttermost part of the world, and the make a disciple. So before I get into, do you recognize you and I received the same great commission? Or Chuck Swindoll, Pastor Chuck Swindoll said, are we taking that as more like a great suggestion? You know, this is a great commission belongs to the professional missionaries. It's a great suggestion for me. Today's story 
It's a focus on Jesus' instruction more than describing actual activities of the 72 missionaries. And also, here I see a great deal of wisdom for successful house church ministry. That's why today's passage is very special to us. Here we see several secrets or principles of a successful missional life. So we will go hit by one fast. So, you know, hold your, you know, I'm going to go fast because it's a more than three-point sermon. So we're going to go fast. One, first and foremost secret and the work of a sent people is to ask God first. Look at the verse 2. Jesus told them, harvest plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore to send our, send our workers into a harvest field. Jesus described the dire situation of a harvest. He said the uh, demand and supply is totally, you know, lopsided. And then here Jesus doesn't want us to take matters into our own hand. Yes, there's a huge gap between the demand and supply. Here in the spiritual world, the demand is overwhelmingly, overwhelming the supply side. So what do we do? Our instinct is uh, let's get to work and no time to waste and immediately let's start the harvesting. Jesus tells us today, stop. First thing you need to do, ask God first. Because a harvest belongs to him. God is the Lord of the harvest, not us. Here Jesus reminds us of an important secret of successful Christian life. That is a prayer first. We pray first, not labor. Not prayer, I mean not labor, but prayer is the first order of a ministry. Now, while we all know the importance of prayer, not many of us pray first, but we usually work first and then pray. Why? Why? It's because work is more visible, tangible than prayer. You know, when you work, it's visible. Others can see you. But when you pray, nobody knows whether you prayed or not. But in the spiritual realm, prayer is a first order. Prayer is a first order. You know, a great American uh, uh, writer on prayer, Ian Bounds, said, God shapes the world by prayer. God shaped the world by prayer. And he also said the story of a great, every great Christian achievement is simply a story of answered prayer. And we saw that in the book of Acts. Because Jerusalem church was born when? After the disciples devoted themselves on prayer in upper room. Prayer is a mother of a mother church. Prayer is a mother of a mother church. First church in history, Jerusalem church was born through the prayer, for the prayer. We need to remember that disciples were desperate and humble on their knees, that's when the Holy Spirit came and empowered them on the day of Pentecost, and that's how our church was born. So, let us resist our instinct of human activism when it comes to God's harvest. You know, when workers are few, we try to recruit others. Jesus told, told us, pray first and then recruit. By the way, Jesus said, the harvest field is ripe, but workers are few. 
It's so true when it comes to a house church ministry. You know, the, uh, the, our sort of, uh, you know, the main church of house church ministry, New Life Fellowship in Houston, they hosted a house church conference for pastors every year for last, you know, 15 plus years. Those of you from New Life know that, right? And every year they host about 10 to 15 pastors. So imagine the number. But do you know how many are actually doing house church ministries now? In my account, less than 20. It's a less than 10%. And question is why? Why do the pastors who attended and the many of them say that we're going to try, we're gonna, I'm going to you know, transition our church to the house church ministry. They are not doing it. Because unless you are devoted on your knees and pray for prayers, humbly and desperately, house church cannot be done. House church ministry is a hard, hard. It's a hard, especially for pastors. Seriously. You know, so H, you know, what is that? HC, house church, for me, stands for hard church. It's a hard church. Especially hard on what? On prayer. On prayer. I have a confession and also praise report at the same time. You know, the beginning of a house church ministry, I said, I want to pray for one hour for every day for our church. Many times I couldn't do that. But since the, our, you know, shepherd's annual retreat, yes, I've been able to do that. Because God convicted me. This is not... You know, something that you can carry, carry on your own strength. It is impossible apart from Christ. Every ministry is impossible apart from Christ, but doubly and triply for house church ministry. So you know what? Most of you here, you have prayed twice by your shepherds and me. So I'm kind of looking at who I didn't pray. You know, I was kind of checking out. If you didn't come to house church, then I don't receive your prayer request. Then I don't pray. But if you come, so even if you don't come to house church, send a prayer request to your shepherd. Then he pray or she pray and I'll pray. I'll definitely want to cover everyone here with my prayer. Let me go second point. After prayer is done, Jesus said, Jesus tells us go quickly. Verse 3, go. I'm sending you out like a lambs among wolves. By the way, this language of a lambs among the wolves tells us the spiritual work or spiritual harvesting is dangerous. And this is another reason for us to pray seriously. Because when you're involved in the spiritual harvest, you are engaged in the spiritual battle. Satan and demon, whatever you name it, fallen angels and dark forces in the world, forever against you. Yes, yes. Now, and Jesus said, verse 4, do not take a purse or bag or sandals, but do not greet anyone on the road. So Jesus told the disciples to act urgently. Act urgently. That's the second secret. How much urgently? As if you don't have time to pack purse, bag, or sandal. Jesus told the disciples not even greet anyone on the road. Greeting people on the road was expected of a Travelers at the time. And then was considered as a common courtesy. By the way, back then, greeting 
they was not a superficial uh, like uh, today. Like, uh, hey, how's it going? What's up? Hey, and then move on. No. They say, Shalom, Israel, whatever. They go, long greeting. So point is that, uh, so, you know, their greeting was often very uh, lengthy. So I don't think Jesus meant literally here, actually. While some people might read that way, but idea is an urgency of a task. And the point Jesus made is that you cannot be distracted. This mission is urgent. You cannot be distracted. This is a priority number one. It's just like a Ukraine people. You know, all those men taking their family to the safe area and then they're going back. They cannot be distracted anything other than safety of their own family. So what makes you urgent and eager this day? You know, last week I was deeply challenged by Paul's confession in our daily devotion, daily, you know, breath in the Romans 1, uh, chapter 1, verse 14 and 15. There Paul said, I'm obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I'm so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. You know, word I am obligated literally means I'm a debtor. And the interesting thing that Paul said here is that he didn't say I'm a debtor to God. But that are two, Greeks and non-Greeks. The phrase in Greeks, non-Greeks means everybody in the world. What makes a Paul say he was a debtor to everyone in the world? Because he experienced this so humongous, rich love of God through the cross of Christ and the gospel. Paul was overwhelmed by God's love through Christ that he feels he's obligated, indebted to share the gospel or good news with everybody in the world, including Romans, those who invaded and conquered his own people. It's like a Ukraine pastor wants to go to Moscow and then really love them and preach the gospel. That's what gospel of Christ does for us. It wins our heart so richly, they make us eager to share good news of Jesus with everyone. So do we have an urgency because of the goodness and greatness of God's love that we experience? The third secret of a successful missionary life is to anticipate the God's provision. God's provision. Look at the verse 5. When you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. If someone promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. What Jesus prohibited disciples to carry, he provided through others. In this case, someone who promised the peace. This someone who promised the peace in Greek text is simply man of a peace. Man of a peace. What is a man of peace? Man of peace is someone who will appreciate your commitment to God, Someone who will really receptive of your message and join your mission. That is a man of peace. So whenever I pray for missionary, I always pray, God, connecting them, man and woman of peace. So use that in your prayer for your own missionary. Here is the truth that I want to testify about the following God's call. You know, when you follow God, you will find 
other faithful people that God prepared. God will always lead to good people. When you follow God, you are bound to meet amazing people in the process. In my case, many of them became my so-called friends for life or BFF. And uh, my children actually look at these people, these are men and women of a peace or a BFF in Christ, like uh, uncles and aunts. They feel actually much closer to my friends than their, you know, aunt and biological aunt and uncles. And the men, those, some of them I haven't seen lately, you know, for, for a while, but minute we see each other, guess what? There was no, it's as if there's no lost time at all. We click, we bond immediately. There's no gap of you know, intimacy because we have a common bond in Christ. You know, someone said friends can grow separately without growing apart. Yes, in Christ, you follow, you will find them amazing friends. So when we obey God's call for mission, God will find us men and women of peace that who will be our, you know, BFF. And this is why the house church ministry is so beautiful. Unlike other churches, you know, very program-based ministry, in through a house church ministry, you will find the friends for life. You know, when many of our leaders attended a New Life Fellowship Shepherds, you know, uh, conference, we are amazed the time commitment, that the time, you know, consumed, you know, that the amount of time they spend on the house church ministry. So we all ask, you know, one of the top questions is, uh, how, you know, if the time commitment is too heavy, guess what the most of them they say? They say, we are simply doing life together. You know, we are friends. We, are, we love, you know, working together. And then we find out that house churches go vacation together, go trip together. You know? And I realized a good house church is not just a house church that meet on Friday alone. But they have a consistent communication and fellowship throughout the week. And then once in a while they go to you know, trip together. I'm not talking about fancy vacation in some kind of resort, resort place. You can go like, uh, you know, just over the weekend trip or Saturday outing. Important thing is, they really enjoy each other. Though, although we don't have to be a best friends of everyone in the house church, but definitely house church ministry will bless your fellowship into long-term friendship. Amen? And I want to tell you, you don't stay in the one house church a long time. You know, average is like a two, three years. Some of our house churches, not even two, three years. You know, I think it's, I'm afraid uh, some of it will be even six months, you know. So you will not stay long. That during that time, really enjoy each other and support one another. Let me move on to the, the related to this one. Fourth secret of successful mission life is to abide in one place. Look at the verse 7. Jesus said, stay there, eating and drinking whatever they give give you for the worker 
deserve these wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcome, eat what is offered to you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. Let me tell you, mission is not a vacation. God's mission is not vacation. So we don't change a place of a mission like we are switching for a more comfortable hotel or better Airbnb during a vacation. You know, ministry is not a game. We don't change a team because we don't like a teammate. You know, successful ministry is always determined by staying power or time span of a minister or pastor. This is not an absolute truth. This is a general observation and, and principle. Because I know some churches are suffering because of their inept, inept pastor who should have left years ago. They're still staying there. So this is a general principle. That is a longevity of a healthy church. I mean, longevity of a pastor is a critical in the growth and health of the church. And they listen, mark my word, church cannot outgrow its pastor. Church cannot outgrow its pastor. You know, church cannot outgrow its pastor. If a pastor is not growing, church is not growing. So pray for your house church shepherd to grow, especially in prayer and love in their heart. And, uh, you know, one of the biggest religious news of the last year was a retirement announcement of uh, 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 Rick Warren. Rick Warren, uh, founding pastor of a Saturday Community Church, a.k.a. the best, uh, author of a bestseller, Purpose Driven Life. When Rick Warren was a seminary, you know, uh, a senior at the Southwestern Seminary at Fort Worth, he researched the several, you know, like 40-plus largest church in America, and he found out every church has a different method uh, to grow. That there's a one thing in common in every church. That was every the largest church in America, large church in America. There are senior pastors stay in the church more than at least two, three decades. So you know what he prayed? He began to pray. God, send me any place you want. You want. But send me the place where I will. That if you send me a one place, then I will send me a place that I will serve you. 40 years. I'll give you 40 years. He said 40 years because 40 years sounds very biblical. You know, Moses served in the wilderness for 40 years. And also being a young pastor, he's, you know, late 20s, he said 40 years is, a, you know, it's eternity. He said, oh, 40 years, that's more than enough for me to be a pastor. You know, after 42 years, 42 years, he finally couldn't do that uh, senior pastor role because of his uh, deteriorating health. So he announced the retirement plan, and in the next two years, they're looking for his replacement. So let me also say again general principle about house churches. Stay one house church if possible. Changing house church does not really, I mean, does rarely make it better. People get better. After changing house church, not because they found a better house church, but because they realized that I better change myself. This, is, this house church is as problematic as the other one. That's why the newcomers, we tell you to visit only two house churches. 
because they're about the same. Seriously. Yeah. Yeah, they, you know, I'm sorry. Some of them, you know, I encourage some of them. Oh, excellent, but, you know, seriously. Other excellent house churches. Or, oh, oh well, I'm not pointing that, that direction. You know, point is, I confess this. All pastors, including I, we have a struggles and temptations to switch churches. I had it too in Forest. My third year and fourth year. I was wondering if a forest could forest could be better off without a with a different pastor. You know, I'm so glad that God didn't increase that thought in my hearts and prayer. You know why? According to some, you know, I mean this is because I grew. I experienced God's double mercy and grace during that time. Do you know what's the average uh, life, I mean, ministry tenure of average senior pastor in America? Four years. Four years. Most uh, senior pastors switch church in four years. Why? First year is a honeymoon. Second year, slowly you see some you know, uh, uh, you know, different dynamics, and then, you know, you've been figuring out and all the honeymoon effects is gone. Starting third year, you feel kind of a conflict stage, and then you try your best. Fourth year, you try, I mean, you know, and so you try, and then starting fourth year, you start looking out for the next church to move on. So four years, four years. Thing is this. Someone compares the blessed man to tree, and the wicked to the chaff. Blessed man is like a tree planted by a river. Wicked is like a chaff blown by the wind. You know, to be a tree is a boring. You're stuck in one place. To be, in contrast, to be a chaff blown by wind is actually exciting because you go new places. What's the difference? Fruit. Fruit is a difference. You want to bear fruit, you need to stay put on one place. You need to stay put one place. And uh, when I, you know, when I overcame the temptation and struggles, guess what? That's when, you know, we, I, I feel that uh, that's another testimony later that uh, God bless our church. And the new people start coming and so forth. Let me go to the fifth principle. Fifth secret of successful missionary, missional life is actually realistic and surprising. That is to anticipate resistance and rejection and not to be discouraged. Verse 10. When you enter into town and are not welcome, go into the street and say, even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet as a warning. Yet be sure the kingdom of God come near you. Now, when you share God's vision with others, not everyone will say amen. Some people say no man at all. No man. You know, go away. And this is the most realistic and surprising at the same time. I say it's the more, most real, more realistic because that's what happened to all the biblical leaders. You know, Moses experienced the resistance and rejection. Our Lord Jesus experienced the rejection even on the cross. Actually, Jesus is a sign of being a God's prophet. 
Matthew 5.11 said, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecute the prophets who were before you. So rejection is actually a sign of being faithful to God from time to time. And Jesus understands and our pain of rejection and shares you know, our sorrow with that. So today's, today in the verse 16, Jesus said, Whoever listens to you, you listen to you, listen to me. Whoever rejects you, rejects me. But whoever rejects me, rejects the him, the God who sent me. So Jesus saying that when you reject it, don't, don't be discouraged. It's not you. It's me they are rejecting. You know? So Jesus is a doubly you know, uh, encour- you know, encouraging disciple. So while resistance and rejection of God's mission is a commonplace and almost universal, it's surprising to see that when we get our own resistance and rejection, we seem to be very surprised and shocked as if we're the only one who experienced such a rejection, right? When somebody rejected you, even though you have a good will and everything you do is right, you feel very discouraged. Very discouraged. We have some shepherds like that. You know, I understand that paradox. You know why? Even though cancer is a very common disease, when you have your own cancer, it's no longer common. It's a first. It's serious. Point is this. Don't be disappointed by naysayers. Don't be discouraged by naysayers. Our life is too short. And God's calling is too high. Our journey for kingdom of God is far to go. You know, Dallas, you know, pastor, T.D. Jake said this. When people can walk away from you, let them walk away. Because your destiny is not tied to the person who left. So true. Our destiny is tied to God's calling and those who are walking with us toward the common mission of life. You know, more than anyone in this church, I experience a pain of resistance and rejection. There are more people left the forest because of me than you. Do you know that? And it's not easy for me. As a pastor, it's not easy for me. I'm not here to kick out, I mean, uh, you know, make people leave. What can I do? What can I do? I leave them in the grace and mercy of God. And appreciate those who are still with me and trust me. And I keep pressing forward because we have a long way to go. We have so many people to, you know, save and then, you know, strengthen. Let me go to the final point. We come to the conclusion we see perhaps this is the most important secret for successful uh, uh, mission life and the ministry. That is, assess our, assess our mission correctly. Verse 17, 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied, I saw Satan fall like a lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to tremble on snakes and scorpions to overcome all the power of enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. 
You know, conclusion of today's story begins with the joy, ends with the joy. 72 returned with the joy, and Jesus told them, Rejoice that your names written in heaven. So what is the joy? Joy is inclusio of this conclusion. If you don't know inclusio, ask some of our members. If, if they don't know, just hit their head because... I've been saying inclusive a million times here, up here. Anyway, when you adventure with God in mission, you will have the most amazing joy in your life. These 72 amazed that even demons submitted to them in the name of Jesus. You know, if your dogs submit to you and obey your call, aren't you excited and, you know, amazed? Imagine it's not a puppy. It's a demon's. Obey you. Isn't that excitement? You know, when 72 were excited, Jesus congratulated them and cautioned them. So congratulations. Jesus said, yes, I saw Satan fall like a lightning from heaven because I gave you my authority. Jesus' authority is heavier than gravity. The disobedient angels immediately fell from God's presence when they rejected his grace. Then Jesus cautioned them, but do not rejoice because the spirits submitted to you, but rejoice your names are written in heaven. What is Jesus saying is this. Rejoice and delight in your salvation more than success of your ministry. Delight in your salvation more than your success. You know, in the ancient world, not many people's names were written down in the books. Only important people left their names in the book. You know, just like today, not many people, not many of us will leave our names in the buildings or institutions, right? I hope so, but that's, that's a fact. Do you know anyone who left their name on the building? I know someone. He actually, I'll just say his name. He's a great guy, James Kang. He graduated as a top student, top undergrad student, at the uh, uh, electrical engineering department at UC Berkeley, and their tradition, they write their name, the student's name on the building, the department, you know, stone building. James Kang, his name was on the building. And people are impressed. And people say his brain is, uh, you know, gold. You know what? His heart is uh, pure gold. He could be easily be multimillionaire. All... Several of his friends are multimillionaires in the Silicon Valley. You know what he did? After, serve, after doing working a few years as a very, very able engineer, he responded to God's call. He went to Princeton Seminary. He became a wonderful pastor. Wonderful, wonderful pastor. Wonderful pastor. Today, Jesus revealed to us our names are written in heaven. What does that mean? First of all, names means individuals. Names means individuals. That means your name, my name, everyone's name, everyone who believes in Jesus is written in heaven and permanently remembered by God. You know, Bible is a full of a reference about the book of life, starting with Exodus 32, when Moses said, Lord, if you don't forgive Israelite, then take my name away, you know, blot my name out of a book of your, your book. And the Psalm 69, Daniel 12, and especially Revelation, you know, third, chapter 3, verse 13, 17, 20, 
all mentions book of life. Now, our names are written in heaven means our names remembered by God forever. And again, why do we need to assess and rejoice for our salvation more than our success of a ministry? You know, success of a ministry is a temporal, wherever joy of salvation is eternal. Success of a ministry often remembered or, you know, uh, recorded by people for our salvation is worked, wrought by God. You know, our success depends on people's response. Our salvation depends on God's love for us. Famed uh, English pastor Martin Lloyd-Jones once preached on this text, and he said this, It is our fatal tendency to rejoice in the wrong things in connection with our spiritual life and experience. We are so quickly impressed with a spiritual success and dangerously blinded by our pride. How fast we forget the true joy that our names are recorded in the book of life. Heaven is a guaranteed. When we rejoice in our gifts more than in God's grace, we experience fluctuation in our Christian life. Seasons of a great security and joy, followed by seasons of a pride and sadness and unsteadiness. There is a profound difference between gifts and grace and the result of a security found in knowing our names written in heaven. So, dear brothers and sisters, let us rejoice in the grace of God more than our gifts today. Let's praise God for His faithfulness for us more than our fruits for Him. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, You have done great things for each one of us. You remember each one of us and redeemed each one of us. You wrote our names in your heart. We cannot thank you enough and praise you enough for your love, for you wrote your na our names with the precious blood of your only Son on the cross. Gracious Lord, now send us to a far distant country to find our prodigal brother and sisters your lost sons and daughters. Help us to depend on you and help us not to be distracted, but to help us not to be discouraged, but to discover the man of peace and ultimately delight in your salvation. Help us not just be saved, but all sent to your mission. In the greatest name of Jesus, who has done great things for us, we pray. Amen. Let us all stand and let us praise this song as our prayers.